0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon.
1: All right, guys, what I want you to do this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of John and we're going to be going through John chapter 13 through 16 what's known as the upper room discourse where Jesus is giving his final instructions to his disciples before he would go and be betrayed be tried then crucified and then rise again now you're probably wondering George why are we why are we looking at this right now why why, why this? Because we already know Jesus died. We already know that he rose again. And, you know, we have salvation and we're waiting for his return. Why, why do we need to go back and look at what he said to his disciples that day? So let me just explain to you. We're only going to look at part of what he said to his disciples. There's a lot of things that he said to them that had to do with regards to uh, what was happening that night. For instance, this is the discourse where he tells Peter that Peter's going to deny him before the the rooster crows. And we don't need to observe that, but there are some other things that Jesus says here that I think are very important to us. And I'm going to explain to you why it's important to us. Well, let let me just kind of tell you, first of all, that you and I have and we're dealing with what we call a dominant mindset for you and I. A dominant mindset. You and I operate on under a way of thinking. And it was kind of told to us. I shouldn't say it was told to us. It was implied to us in church. So if you think with me for a moment, think back to when you became a believer. Now, for some of you, maybe that was when you were younger, but I want you to think when you became a believer. For me, it was in 1985. I was 19 years old. But I want you to think about when you became a believer. And when you became a believer and you realized you needed Jesus, you needed his forgiveness in your life, you committed your life to follow him, whatever it was that you said at that time, but you came to Christ in salvation. I want you to think about it for a moment. I want you to think back to what did people tell you then about the Christian life? What did people tell you about how to live the Christian life? Or is it something you just picked up because you watched others around you as they went to church and so you made some assumptions? And so with those assumptions and with the implication of what people were saying and so forth, I'm going to tell you that we adopted a mindset, a dominant mindset that really controls the way you live your life right now and the way I control controls the way I live my life. And it's dominates our way of thinking and living, but I'll be honest with you, it's not biblical. What are you talking about, George? Well, let me give you two thoughts here. Here's the first one. It's easy to see your faith walk as a solo effort. What happens is, and some of it has to do with the nature of who we are as North Americans. You know, we're North Americans. And with that, it's you. You doing what you have to do, you achieving, you living the American dream, you applying yourself, you achieving and getting what you want. It's all about you. And if you don't put any effort, you don't have anything. So that's the mindset of our culture, always has been. It's you achieving. Now, what the problem is, is we take our cultural mindset and bring it over into our Christian life. And the reason why is because nobody came and told us very important things that we needed to know that Jesus told us. And so we assume that when it came to our Christian life, I I got saved, I put my trust and faith in Jesus, I'm forgiven, and now it's up to me to live this Christian life. It's up to me to do this. And so we enter into a mindset where we think in terms of, Well, I need to go to church. Well, yes, you do need to go to church. But you need to go to church not because it's the thing you need to do for your Christian life. It's the thing that needs to happen. And we're going to see that here in a moment for you to make it through life. Not just for your Christian life. We're going to see that here in a moment. You, you think in terms of you, it's your prayer life, you is striving, you, 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 and you think of it in terms of a solo effort. So that's why we enter into the mindset, well, I don't need church. And we've met a lot of Christians who don't need church, right? I know people who claim to be believers, and they will flat out tell you, I don't need church, I don't need that headache, I don't need that fighting, I don't need that grief, I don't need that. I can I can do it on my own. I tried that. How many of you have talked to people? They've tried that. Wasn't a good situation. And I'm much better off now. I've heard that one. I am much better off now. And that's because we have, whether we like it or not, to some degree or, or another, whether it's on a lower degree or a higher degree in our thinking, we have this concept that we see our faith walk as a solo effort. Just you and I. Here's the difficulty with that though, okay? So the second thing I want you to see here is this, is that it amplifies our feelings of loneliness in this world. When you view things as it's just you, and especially when you view things with reference to your spiritual life, as it's just you, Jesus saved you, Jesus has got a place for you later on, and it's up to you in between, it just amplifies your feelings of loneliness. What do you mean? Well, hello folks, we live in the real world. Things don't go the way you want them to go. Is that not true? Stuff happens, bad stuff happens. You could be cruising down the road and out of nowhere somebody hits your car, you think you've got great insurance, you should be okay. Then you find out your insurance is only going to give you so much because your car's 10 years old. It isn't like you thought it was 10 years before. So they give you a little bit, but you can't buy another car with a little bit. And if you still owe on that car, it's gone, right? I didn't ask for that. Why is this happening to me? It's life. But here's the problem. The problem is is that if your Christianity is just you trying to make it through, live for Jesus the way you think you're being told to live for him and doing the right stuff and everything, what ends up happening is, is that when the pressure is on, the difficulties arise, you start feeling lonely. And here's what happens then. You start praying prayers of desperation. Oh God, I need you to show up. Like you're trying to get his attention for the first time in a long time without realizing he was always there. But see, you didn't realize he was always there because you were doing it by yourself. And you get to the point where you question, does he even love me? Isn't that what we do? Do you love me, Jesus? Why is this happening to me? Folks, never never question his love for you. You know how you can never question his love for you? He died for you. Just because you're going through difficult times right now is not a question of whether or not he loves you. He loves you. But the problem is, is you're trying to do life alone. And so what happens is, is for a lot of Christians, here's what we do. I see it week after week. We come to church. We've been beat up on by the world during the week. We're looking at a week ahead of us that has its own stuff and we feel alone. And we wonder, how are we going to get through this? How am I going to get through this? Oh, I have my faith. I know I'm forgiven. But how am I going to get through this? And I'll tell you what's going on here, folks. The reason why we're there is is because somebody forgot to tell us something and what somebody forgot to tell you and i is that you're not alone and you never have been and jesus anticipated that he was going to leave you know i was thinking about this as i was going through this passage just a few chapters earlier in chapter 11 is the story of lazarus jesus raising lazarus from the grave and and if you remember, when Jesus comes to the grave, Martha says to him, Mary says the same thing, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. Have you ever said that? God, if you had showed up, I wouldn't be going through this. And that's because the physical presence of Jesus is there now. Now, here's the thing, folks, that's 2,000 years ago. Physical presence of Jesus is not here. So now we're like really feeling alone, but we're still asking the same question. Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. Now here's what I want you to see, folks. What Jesus told us is you're not alone because in this discussion that he had in the upper room, he's getting ready to tell them, I'm going away, but I made plans for you. What? He made plans for you and I while he was away for us to be able to weather what's coming. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Part of it is is we're going to see it's not today. He's going to give us some instructions about the Holy Spirit. A lot of us don't even acknowledge him, but we're going to see that here as we go into coming weeks. But today, it was actually amazing to me because I thought he would just launch right into the Holy Spirit thing. No, no, guess what he does? Well, we're going to see it here. Look with me in your Bibles. We're just going to look at three verses today. We're going to look at verses 33 through 35. In the beginning, verses 31 and 32, he says, Now, after Judas left, whom Satan was dwelling in, he said, Now I'm glorified, and the Father is glorified in me. What is he talking about? Glorified? He's talking about that now everything is being set in motion for him to go to the cross and to be glorified. But then he comes to verse 33. Look at what he says. This is addressed to the disciples. This is addressed to you and I. Look at what he says. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All right, so let's take a look at this. This is, a, this is interesting because, okay, here's what I would expect. It's George, and I've got a plan for you. And I'm going to have somebody else come, the Holy Spirit come. I would be like, guys, I'm going to leave. You can't go where I'm going. But hey, I've sent somebody else. Makes sense, wouldn't it? But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Look at what he does. All right, we're going to break it up into two parts. We're going to see, first of all, his concern in verse 33. He's concerned for you and I. And then second part, his guidance, verse 34 and 35. So let's talk about his concern. Here's the first thing. Number one, he views his followers affectionately. All right, here's the thing. You should never, ever have a thought enter into your mind as to whether or not Jesus loves you. You should never enter there. No matter what you're going through, no matter what he's allowing you to go through, Don't ever let it enter into your mind, the question about whether or not God loves you. He loves you. How do we know that? Well, look at how he's addressing these folks. He uses a term. It's not, we don't view it that way, but in their culture they did. He uses the phrase, little children. It's kind of a parental thing, but it's expressing affection here. He says to them, little children, I'm getting ready to leave. But you can't go with me. You ever did that as a parent? I remember several times where you know, you're getting ready to go somewhere and, and the kids want to go with you. No, 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 you can't go with me. You know, you're not like, get out of the way. No, no, you're talking to them affectionately, right? Because they're your kids. Jesus is doing the same thing here. Why? Because he loves them. He loves you. He's concerned about you. Listen, folks. The stuff you're going through right now that you feel so alone in, God's concerned about it. He's concerned about your well being. He's concerned about how you're doing, how you're handling it. He knows your frustrations. He knows your loneliness. He's concerned. Why? Because He loves you. Why do you think He uses a term of affection here? He's concerned. With that comes the second point. Jesus told them he was going away and they couldn't come with him. I'm going to leave you. You can't go with me. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Jesus' physical presence is not going to be with us. And we know that, right? You and I live our daily lives daily without Jesus' physical presence with us. We can't go and say, oh, there's Jesus. There's Jesus. First of all, if he came in here, uh, we wouldn't be like, oh, we'd be on our face. Just being honest with you, we'd be like, whoa, he's here. But the fact is, Jesus is not here. But it's awesome to think if Jesus was here, it wouldn't be an issue, right? Well, now they're not going to have that anymore. So guess what he does? He gives them a plan. This is what the upper room discourse is. It's not just telling them what he's going to suffer and what he's going to go through. He gives them his plan for them while they're here by themselves. We say, wait a minute, George, I thought you told me I'm not alone, but you just said I'm here by myself. No, his plan is for something for you and I so that we're not by ourselves. And the first thing he tells us is that we have each other. That's his guidance. First thing, before he even gets to the whole issue of the Holy Spirit, which is another comforter, another one just like him, he talks about you and I having each other. Now, do you understand why I gave you those verses in Hebrews? Now, do you understand why the writer of Hebrews would say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves? To go? You need each other. You need each other. So look at his guidance here. I think it's amazing. Look with me, verse 34 and 35. You know, you've heard these verses before. We've said them before. You maybe have even said them yourselves. Look at what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you, if you have love for one another. I'm going to point out three things here. Because again, we're talking about, remember, we are operating on this mindset that we have to do it by ourselves, which, by the way, how are you doing with that? If you're honest, you'd have to say, not well. What do you mean, not well, George? How are you doing with the sins you're struggling with? It really defeats you, right? It's embarrassing to talk about. But isn't it James who says confess your sins to one another that you might be healed? What does that mean? So you can overcome your sins. See, here's what I want you to see. Three things, okay? Here's the first one. Jesus is commanding us to love each other. You're to love each other. And That's what's so amazing. It's a command. What do you mean a command? Well, notice he said a new command. What what is the old command? Well, love the Lord God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. The very first one, right? Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's come along, he's adding one on to it. It really amplifies the second one. Love each other as I have loved you. See, that's a qualifier. Because here's the thing. What we're talking about here isn't To be very honest with you, it isn't love in words, but love in action. Everybody understand love in words? You know, in a Christian church, you expect, oh, I love you, love you. Get in the car, can't believe that person. Could you believe how they were acting? But you see them in Walmart,
0: oh, love you.
1: Can't believe I had to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. I used to hear this statement years ago. Thankfully, it's dead now. Hopefully, it's dead. I love them in the Lord, but I can't stand them. What does that mean? You and I are not alone because God gave us a group of people to be our support while he's not here and it's who the church the people around you and we're commanded to love each other now let me ask you a question when you talk about a command from Jesus is there wiggle room there is that like an option thing I I know sometimes, like, uh, you know, if I tell my, you know, parents, if we tell our, tell your kids, uh, take the garbage out, there's three bags, I want you to take all three out to the road. And you go out, and they say, well, I'm only going to take two, take the third one next week. And in their mind, they were being obedient, they took the garbage out, they didn't take all three though, right? Because they thought the third was an option, but you know it wasn't, why did you take the garbage out? We like to operate with options. You know, your boss tells you to do something, "Ah, you do it 90% because the other 10% is optional, right? Is that the way we are with Jesus? I think that's the way we act, but that's not the way we should be because here's what he's telling us. He's telling you, I am commanding you, love each other. How are we to love each other? We're to love each other as Jesus loved us. How much did Jesus love you? He died for you. He gave his life for you and you didn't even ask him for it. I don't really think you need another example than that, right? It's a sacrificial love it's going beyond for other people even if they don't ask for it. Because let's be honest, we didn't ask for it, right? I, I don't recall, you know, yeah, I got saved at 19, but I don't recall any time in the in the years before that I decided that Jesus, you need to die for me. Please die for me. I, I didn't think that. That never entered into my mind. But he did it on his own, right? He did it on his own for you and I to have salvation. Why? Because he loved you. For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son. He's calling for us to have that kind of same love for who? Each other. Yeah, but George, you don't understand. I don't like who they root for. Really? Remember, they don't like who you root for either. You're to love them. Be there for them. Because that's what Jesus would do. Do you you understand? And and the third thing, the final thing I want you to see here is, is that our love for each other is our greatest testimony. Hey, you know what? Right now, I think we all recognize we live in interesting times. Have you noticed that over the last 10 years, people have gotten more irritable with each other? I mean, people are just ready to dress anybody down for anything. So we live in this age of rage where people are so on edge about everything and it just does there's no end to it right like can I have a breathing week this week no something else comes up something else happens somebody else does something that makes you mad somebody else is mad at you and everybody's so on edge and so angry and it's isn't that true we live in the age of anger 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 but people are desperate for something different. Don't you realize that? Even though people are angry, they're desperate for something different, but they don't know where to look. But the sad thing is, is that the place they should be looking is the church, but what they see in church, can I be honest with you, on the national level is more anger. When in reality, Jesus said, by this shall they know that you're my disciples by your what? Love. Love. Not your anger. Love for each other, as I have loved you. Can can? can okay, let me ask you a question. This is a Bible trivia, okay? All right. So you think about Jesus's ministry. And boy, did he attract people, right? Did Jesus attract people? Okay. What kind of people did he attract? Average people who were going nowhere who needed help, right? Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, people who were desperate for something different. What attracted him to them? Not just the healing, his love. there's one group that he was angry at anybody remember who that group is religious people who by the way were angry Do you see my point our greatest testimony do you want to know what our greatest testimony our greatest testimony in Clearfield County in Kerwinsville In the Clearfield area, our greatest testimony isn't what we stand on, what we hold to. They don't really care about that. They want to see, is Jesus real to you? Now, how do they know that Jesus is real to you? Because you live like Jesus wants you to live, and you act towards others the way Jesus wants you to act towards others, and that's what? Love each other. So, how do they know that? They see how you treat each other. They see how you treat each other. That, my friends, is the greatest testimony a church can ever have. Period. It's not how much you do or what you're doing or what. It's who you are with each other and whether or not you're fulfilling what Jesus told us to fulfill. What? Love each other as he loves us. Do you understand? See, that's where it starts. You say, well, wait a minute, George. I thought we're talking about we're not alone. Look, you're not alone. You're able to weather things throughout the week because you have a group of people who will weather them with you. You're not alone. Do do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus, this this blows my mind. He knows he's going away. He knows that his disciples are going to have this vacuum in their lives because the very presence, presence, the awesome presence of Jesus isn't going to be with them anymore, and he's going to be gone. And what does he say? You can't go with me, but here's what I'm telling you. Love each other. Be there for each other. You can't do this alone.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania.